Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to a Believe podcast. I'm your host, John Oisenstein. This is the Guitar Life. My special guest today, guitarist, poet, composer, songwriter, actor, playwright. None other than Mark Turnbull. Mark Turnbull. What a guy. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Thanks for doing this, Mark. My pleasure. I'm so glad you came today. Welcome to a Believe podcast. You're from Glendale originally? I was born in Glendale, yes. And yes. Uh, you had uh, other people uh, in your uh, family that were uh, industry or entertainment people, uh, some sort of, you know, yes. uh, creative artists of some sort? Yes, I was kind of born in the proverbial trunk. In the proverbial trunk. Was, yeah. it, was it competitive and they had high expectation and... You know, well, it's, what happened? it's it's interesting. The my my dad was um, uh, a dancer, basically a great dancer and a choreographer. Um, he would do the Jack Benny uh, choreograph the Jack Benny show occasionally, the Red Skelton show, um, uh, and a performer. I mean, I used to watch him perform in summer stock in the. Uh, in, in the summers, he would do the, the classic canon, Will Parker in, in Oklahoma, the Scarecrow in The Wizard of Oz, and uh, spent a lot of time in those rehearsal halls watching that stuff uh, and memorizing that stuff. Now, my mom was also in the, uh, she was in vaudeville at the age of three, and then she uh, went into radio and then the movies, went into the the uh, as an extra so, so or whatever studio she system. Get. She did. She actually was uh, not an extra. No, she. There, there was one movie that she starred in. I'm trying to remember the the name of it. But she was, she did. A, she was prominent in a couple of movies. But as a junior, you know, uh, okay. or you know, what they call them juveniles, right? As a, as a juvenile, um, but her her friends were were. Um, she used to hang with, with um, uh, Judy Garland and um, uh, I forget the fellow's name. But your grandparents had something to do with that, right? They uh, they helped uh, uh, her and uh, yeah, my, yeah. My my grandmother was kind of the classic stage mother. Oh, there you go. And, until she became a minister. This is Mark Turnbull, at the Grand Central Art Center. SCUF Fullerton, California, talking about his grandmothers. 
that my grandmother was a minister, a preacher, my dad's mom, I mean, rather, my, my mom's mom, my mother's mom, Harriet, was a uh, minister of, of uh, science of mind. She was a healer. She had the whole mind over matter thing figured out. Well, penetrated. I guess you don't figure it out. She had penetrated the seemingly impenetrable realm. And she found that the decade of the 60s very encouraging. Because as she put it to me, so many young people are leaving the church and going back to God. She had been told when she was 12 years old that due to a missing left hip socket and a paralyzed left leg that she would, quote, never be able to stand alone, much less walk, unquote. Well, my grandmother gave up on doctors then and there, and by the age of 24, she was a professional dancer. So, <laughs> so stubborn? Well, no, even, even then, at that age, she was uh, into scripture and, it, and its practical application. Right? It is not I, it is the Father in heaven who doeth the work, which is mysterious, seems fable-like what Huckleberry Finn would call a stretcher, and, until we recall you know, the, the master's greatest pronouncement, the kingdom of heaven is within you. As, as my, uh, my grandmother used to say to me, God can only do for you what he can do through you. So, um, and she, she married, she was the first person in our whole family to ever get divorced. So I really am following in her footsteps. Uh, but she married a wonderful guy named Don Up. U-P-P, Don Up. He was the head cashier, uh, paymaster at Paramount Pictures for 40 years. He used to hand out the, the you know, Marlon Brando's paycheck to him every week, Clark Gable's paycheck. And... Uh, a great guy, Don Up. So her name became Harriet Up. It was a great name for a preacher. Great name for a minister. I used to stand in front of her bookshelves. She had these, these great bookshelves. And I would, as a little boy, I would just stand in front. Yeah, I could just feel the energy coming off of these, these books. It was like standing in front of a, 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 an ocean, a roaring ocean. And she would walk by and drop little bits of wisdom on me, like the, the aforementioned God can only do for you what he can do through you, or her, her favorite Walt Whitman quote, which is, henceforth, I ask not good fortune, I myself am good fortune. She loved that one. My dad's mom, on the other hand, was a trash-talking, bourbon-swilling jazz hound from Tennessee. And 
she used to, I, I would sit on her, on her knee. As the old saying goes, I with my bottle, she with hers. And uh, she would tell me, sing, sing me songs, little folk songs, and teach them to me, or, or teach me jokes. Uh, uh, what are the three main parts of the stove? Lifter, leg, and poker. This, yeah, this is my grandmother teaching me when I was, you know, this high. Uh, so, and she loved jazz. She always wanted to take me down to New Orleans to the bistros. But, you know, the, that's what she called them, the bistros, the, the jazz clubs. And we would, uh, we'd look at the record albums and, and take out the, the inner sleeves, those paper sleeves that had printed on them all the other albums you could buy. This is when, you know, media came in, in packages that you could read. Uh, and, she, and she'd say, who's that? And I'd say, oh, that's, uh, that's Buddy Rich. She'd say, very good. And, and who's that? Uh, Dizzy Gillespie, very good. So we, we got along great. And her favorite singer was Hoagie Carmichael. This is The Guitar Life. I'm your host, John Heusenstamm. If you're enjoying our program, please subscribe. We're talking with Mark Turnbull today. But... Uh, so, but my mom quit the the industry when she was 18, when she married my dad. And for all the wonderful stories that she had about it, uh, I don't think it bothered her to... to uh, give it up? To give it up. Because, because um, I know that when I like signed with Reprise Records when I was 17, um, she didn't push it uh, like her mom did her okay you know I think I think she got it I think I believe so yeah so she <laughs> let me do my own thing and uh, which was good because I was probably going to do that anyway yeah well yeah well it's easy to see why uh, you know somehow these things get a hold of you and you don't even know the, the wherefore or the whys and you just say this is the way I'm going yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that happened to me pretty much, even though uh, I didn't know where I was going with it. I was just a surfer kid but who loved to play guitar. But I had entertainment relatives, and I said, well, they can make money playing their instruments and acting and whatever. I can do that, too. Yeah, yeah. There wasn't any kind of like, <clears throat> you know... No, it's what you see before you. It's, it's yeah, the nurture. You know, how are we nurtured? How are we conditioned? You've done a lot in, uh, um, you know, in, with plays, with musicals, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. with, uh, you know, you had the guitar all, all the time while this was all going on. Right, right. Right. So uh, you were saying you signed a contract when you were 17 to, to record music or record your originals? or Yeah, yeah. yeah. I did a... Um, Let's talk about that. Well, I was signed with... Uh, uh, a publishing company uh, by a guy named Sonny Burke, who was okay. who was Frank Sinatra's producer, one of them. I've seen that name. Is he a songwriter as well? Uh, Did he have his you know own he stuff wrote? Published? Uh, I think it's songwriting wise, his his most um, the the highest profile credits he has are he and Peggy Lee wrote the score for Lady and the Tramp, the okay, Disney well, thing. Okay, that's huge. And he also <laughs> wrote um, with Lionel Hampton. And Johnny Mercer, uh, the Midnight Sun. <clears throat> so okay, yeah, there. he yeah yeah. Um, but he he heard me through a 
interesting series of events and uh, and signed me as a writer and then about a year later he um, I was set to sign a recording contract with a label, a proposed label by uh, Jay Ward, the Rocky and Bullwinkle guy, who had quite a career going because of Rocky and Bullwinkle there in the 60s. Mm -hmm. um, I watched it. Yeah, yeah. And mm -hmm. so he, he wanted to expand, and one of, the, one of his expansion ideas was uh, a recording um, label. Okay. So, um, and it was run by uh, Leah, eventually Leah Kunkel. Leah Cohen at the time was her name. I believe she was Cass Elliott's half-sister. And she called me and she said, Jay Ward is starting a, a record label and uh, I would like, and I'm running it, and I would like you to be on it. So I went up and to talk to her about it <clears throat> at the Jay Ward offices, which was this wild little little log cabin looking place on Sunset Boulevard with about a 10 foot uh, statue, 10 foot tall statue of Bullwinkle in front of it. <laughs> and, and we talked and she had the contract, but I was underage, so I had to have you know parental Guardian, super, right? supervision. Yeah. yeah. So I was, since I was up there in town, I thought, well, why don't I, I'll take it over to Sonny Burke at Reprise Records. It was on the lot of Warner Brothers. Uh-oh. And, and uh, I, so I took the contract over because I was signed to him as a writer. And um, while he was looking it over, in walks his son, Peter Burke, who I had never met, and we were introduced. And Sonny said, well, Mark, why don't you play some, some of your songs? I had the guitar with me. Uh, why don't you play a couple songs for Peter? So I played um, two or three songs for Peter, and uh, Sonny then asked his son, what do you think? And Peter said, well, he said, you know, Dad, he said, the songs are great, but nobody's going to sing them like he does. And Sonny said, you are absolutely right, and proceeded to tear up the contract, literally rip this contract that I had given <laughs> him in two. And, and immediately pressed the the, uh, uh, the little speaker thing into his secretary's office and uh, said, Dorothy or whatever her name was, you know, please write up a, a standard contract for reprise records for Mark Turnbull for, you know. And, <laughs> and uh, that was it. And then, <laughs> then the next thing I knew we were, uh, you know, after some preliminary meetings with an orchestrator, uh, which was great. Fun. He he said to me at one point. He said, "Are there any particular musicians you want on this record?" I said, "Yes, Bud Shank and Barney Kessel." <laughs> and he said, "You got them." So so there there they were, um, and we did it in three sessions in 1967. Um, that must have been exciting. It, it for was you. it was very exciting, and and <clears throat> they were big. I mean, they were you know it was all done live as was done in that back in the day, uh, and. Um, at least by those people in that day. Yeah. Um, well, that was a true recording session. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and uh, yeah, there were, there were no three, production, three of them. No production, just performance. Yep. With microphones. Yep.
And it was, uh, so that's how that came down. And you were, what, uh, 18? I was 18 by the time wow. we recorded the album. what an experience yeah. that that, I mean, if that would have went well, and I'm, I'm, I'm assuming it did, that would have just clicked in your brain, hey, I, I can do more of these. It did, but you know, it's interesting. I never, um, climbing the ladder of success, it never entered my mind. <laughs> I, I, uh, I just did the record and thought, uh, okay, that's, well, that was groovy. And, and um, then I kind of <laughs> ran off and, and got married and, and uh, proceeded to, to teach guitar. You got children? <clears throat> yeah. Okay. And, and all the time kept, you know, writing. I mean, that was my real focus was the writing. Yeah, it was the process. So, so um, you know, getting into the the ambitious end of the business. Yeah, which I realized much later I could have done. Uh, it it didn't occur to me. It didn't occur to me. Well, you've done a lot of writing for television, right? Or or. Uh no. No. What am I seeing here? I did. I did one one thing for uh, a special for um, one of the PBS stations back quite a while ago. Okay. Um, but no, most of my focus, at least in the last, um, what would that be? Thirty years has been um, in, in the theater. Okay. You know, um, uh, producing mu shows, musicals, acting, yeah. write, writing yeah. a musical. Yeah, I had a little, around here in the Laguna Beach, I had a little cabaret company okay. called Prisoners in Paradise. Right, you told me about and, that a long time ago, yeah. We did a bunch of um, uh, shows um, that, were, that were a great deal of fun. And then at a particular point, I felt it was time to write a book show, what is called a book show, which is a, a, a complete musical, you know. Uh, uh -huh. uh, the cabaret shows were like reviews, R-E-V-U-E, -E, which is a sort of, um, uh, what would you say, like a variety show. For so, so you end up booking uh, small theaters, colleges? Uh, no, I did them. How, how do these uh, things uh, uh, the, 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 dance? The cabaret show, we did one at the Sandpiper. Okay. We, we did one at the, we did several. Which is just a, a bar here in Laguna, right? And we did several at the Laguna Beach Histor Historical Society. Oh, that would uh, have been fun when when it was a, a big enough venue, big big enough building to to get some people in there. Uh huh. Um, one at the little Forum Theater on the festival grounds here in Laguna. Okay. Um, uh, but then, as I say, at one point, I. I what what happened is I ran across a story that I thought, oh, this is a great, this is a musical. So I thought it's time to write a book show, okay, know, a co complete, uh, you know, a, a novel as it were, as compared to the groups of short stories which the the Prisoners could in Paradise it, show had been. Could that show be acted out in one show or is it a series? Yeah, no, it's it's all one show. Oh, okay. You know, the, the classic musical okay. thing. How long did that take you to write that? That one, to, well, they take, you know, that uh, all together. Now that, uh, that I have it in a form that I like, um, 
it took like 30 years. But <laughs> but, but initially it took. Sorry. You know, initially it took. Um, um, three years, I think. Two or three to years. To get the idea, they get the well, well, to get the outline? Yeah, I got it half done, and then I what I did was I, I called Doug Rao, who I'd never met. He was the artistic director at the Laguna Playhouse. And uh, I, with some trepidation, because I, I didn't... Uh, I felt like an outlier, in a sense, mm -hmm. to legitimate theater. And... Uh, he said a wonderful thing to me. He, I introduced myself on the phone. He said, well, Mark, he said, your, uh, your reputation certainly precedes you. And that, you know, from then on out, I mean, he was like my best friend. We're still like best friends. He lives mm -hmm. in Ashland, Oregon now. Um, but he, uh, so I invited him to the house where I was living in South Laguna. Because I said, I have half a musical. And I need some advice, encouragement. <laughs> and he said, "Yeah, let me come down and hear it." So I played him half the, you know, I played him what I had. And he said, "He said, great, finish it. We'll do it." How it was great that is simple. that? So that was the the first of them, and that was like, kind of, we did it on New Year's Eve, the first one, and I think it was seventy nine into eighty, although it might have been eighty into eighty one. I can't remember. Mm -hmm. But then. Um, um, then the next one we did was Man A, originally called uh, Call the Cops, The Art of Edouard Man A. And Doug said, we'll never get it on the marquee. Shorten <laughs> it. So it became Man A. Um, but that was done in 89. Okay. And then... Um, what else? Then we did the, the 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 first one, which is a western, tales of Fanny Keenan. You're basically riding around the clock to get all this stuff done, or waiting for bursts of inspiration. How does it? How do you pace yourself when you're got these you projects know, I, in front I, of you? Oh, well, I just do them. I mean, someone once asked, "Are you disciplined?" I said, "No, I'm not disciplined. I'm obsessed." <laughs> and that's. Okay, you know, that's a good answer. So, so you're writing uh, the music on a guitar, is that right? You know, I try to finish the song before I pick up the guitar. To one of the most wonderful musicians I know, and I'm delighted to call my friend. I first met Mark Turnbull in 1989, I believe, having known his mother, Betty Turnbull, before that, when Mark came out to play at the Tell for the grand walk that changed the direction of Laguna Canyon becoming another Irvine city or open space. Mark, I thank you once again. Excuse me. Is this the gig? This <laughs> next door. <laughs> Yeah. We had an old family friend, a fellow named Royal Dano, who was a uh, character actor. You may have seen him. He played Abe Lincoln on Omnibus. And uh, he, he played the, the strange prophetic figure in Moby Dick, in John Huston's production of Moby Dick. 
Uh, and he did a talk show once with David Susskind. And it was royal, and I forget who the other fellow was. Uh, he was telling my dad this. Royal and my dad uh, shared the same birthday. And he said there were water glasses, water, big tumblers of water out on the, the table. But he said they weren't water. It wasn't water. It was gin. And, and by the time they got done taping, they drunk this whole pitcher of what seemed like water was actually gin. And they couldn't show the, the, the show. They couldn't, they couldn't air the show. It got so bad. So, so that's my gin story. of man is music how deep does music go deep enough that when heard tears will flow how much of man is music When or where comes music So far behind the mask That when played I am moved Moved to ask How much of man is music? What part of beauty is Beautiful, how is I different from me? Distinguish at its height the eagle from flight, the wave from the sea. of life is music how deep within the dream see the cloud feel the rain swim the stream how much of man is music How much of man is music? What a performance. This is The Guitar Life. I'm your host, John Heusenstamm. This is a Believe Podcast production. If you're enjoying our show, please subscribe. Oh, okay. I write at a desk. Oh, okay. And then, or, you know, at, at a, a cafe table or wherever. But um, I only resort to the guitar as a last... You know, if there's a modulation in my mind that I just can't okay. track down with my 
with my solfege, you know, with my ear training, and I have to resort to an instrument, I'll, then I'll go to an instrument. But I try to complete the songs before I pick up an instrument. That's fascinating. Yeah. Okay. So you've got all this music going, but you're also a performer. And, yes. And you use the guitar, um, usually piano. You don't play piano. No, no. The it, guitar is your guitar. instrument. Yeah. Now you were talking uh, before the interview, just which was really interesting to me, your influences. You said Segovia was, was one of your influences. Influences Blind Lemon Jefferson? Uh, uh, no, whom I love, but I, I, when we were talking, I said Reverend Gary Davis. Oh, that's right. Okay, excuse yeah. me. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about uh, um, how you incorporated the inspiration that you got into your own uh, music, ah. you know? Yeah, yeah. The, the, the big three we were talking about the yeah. other day were, were George Van Epps, uh, Reverend Gary Davis, and uh, Andre Segovia. Okay, uh, and then you know eventually, uh, and and you know Barney Kessel is in there as well. Yeah, Barney Kessel, and then eventually along came Jim Hall and Julian Bream. Okay, um, but yeah, th the incorporation of those, you know, I there was a, a very distinct time that I uh, can remember. I don't, I don't That's know what, what, I'm what year for it was, here. but but it was because. Because these were separate disciplines for me. Okay. There was the guitar playing. You know, I, there I was trying to become, whatever. Virtuoso. G G George, George Van Epps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Virtuoso. Yeah. Um, all three of those guys in all, one. All three of those guys in one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then, um, and then there was the writing, and then there was the performing. Um, but it hit me at one point. To, no, no, don't try to be. Um, those three guys, you know, George, the, the Reverend George Segovia, <laughs> George Van Segovia. Um, oh man! Uh, don't you know? Don't try and make that a separate entity. Take that skill, take those chops, yeah. take the imagination yeah. that that pursuit requires, uh -huh. and put it with the writing. Put it behind the singing. So it isn't, you know, Reverend so George. So there's some sophistication in the uh, <clears throat> exactly in the, in, in and the music. Exactly, and then you know, one of my big inspirations is are, are the recordings of Peter Pears and uh, Julian Bream together. Okay. Peter Pears singing uh, the songs of <clears throat> a lot of Dowland, John Dowland songs. Oh, okay. Basically, you know, Elizabethan lute songs. Mm -hmm. Peter Pears singing, Julian Bream playing the parts, mm -hmm. um, playing the the, the lute. And um, and of course Dowlin comes to mind because his lute parts were well he was the you know he yeah, was the, some the of Shakespeare of the lute. When I was interested <clears throat> in classical music, I had some of those pieces as a studies. Yeah, Dowlin. yeah, yeah. So his accompaniments to his songs are extraordinary. Yeah, um, I kind of met Julian Bream, of course. He just yeah. recently uh, passed. Recently away. passed. Yeah. Yeah. What an inspiration to a lot of classical musicians, huh? Guitar players. So let's talk about the blues a little bit, uh, Reverend. Uh, well, Reverend Gary David. I mean, <clears throat> you know, we grew up in a very rich age with the, you know, the folk revival. Right. The, um, you know, jazz was still big, swinging. Yeah. Yeah. <coughs> Excuse me. And then, of course, the the rock and roll thing hit the, the so-called British invasion, but the folk revival was. 
a huge influence on me, <clears throat> both uh, in terms of the songwriting. Um, you know, one of my favorite things are those Appalachian sure. um, unaccompanied ballads, the a cappella singing. I just love it. Um, but then you also had um, the great ragtime pickers, of which the greatest to me was Reverend Gary Davis. Okay. Um, and, and then there's Mississippi John Hurt, there was Sun House. <clears throat> I picked these people because they were still alive. Six years later, seven years later, they were gone. But when I was 15, 16, 17, they were there. They were on stage. One weekend, I got to be a Reverend Gary Davis's lead boy at, at the Golden Bear, a folk Opening music up club. In, no, a lead boy, taking him up on stage. Oh, okay. Um, <clears throat> setting him with his guitar. Um, <clears throat> taking his cigar from him. Um, <laughs> I was going to ask um, if you'd met any of these guys. Yeah. Well, and, you met him. Yeah, and then then uh, through a strange quirk of fate, I wound up having lunch with uh, Sun House at the UCLA Folk Festival in whatever that might have been, 1964 maybe, uh, which was an interesting experience. Um, well, did any of these interactions with these guys play a big role in how you thought as a musician, how you thought as a person, just interacting with them for just a few minutes? <coughs> no, or, 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 were you, or were you standing back and, and just saying, well, that's how that guy lives, that's what he's done with his life, or did you just say, I'm going to do some stuff like that too, whatever it was he was doing to become who he was? Did you like really like, you know, no, flip, no, so no, to speak? No, not the... Not the personal thing, but I mean, I... I uh, You'd admired them, of course. Admired them to the nth degree. <laughs> and uh, I mean, I saw Sun House both at the Ashgrove and at the, um, and at the Golden Bear, sitting in the front row. I took my mother to see Sun House, sat in the front row at the Golden Bear. And because you knew that you were in the presence of something very, very special. Something that... Uh, well, as I say, it wasn't going to be here that much longer, mm -hmm. but that was a um, what would you call it? The the um, uh, like a living cauldron of the blues. Who was it? Dick Waterman said <clears throat> something like like um, uh, if the blues was a lake, and then you dried it down to a puddle and then brought that puddle down to a spoonful and then brought that spoonful of blues down to a drop. That drop is Sun House. The essence of it the all. The essence of it all. <laughs> so, you know, so I basked in yeah. this, this, um, in this music, in this person. Uh, History. He was living history, yeah, yes. Sure. Wow. That must have been something <clears throat> for you especially. Because you were you were an open uh, window then. Exactly. You were ready for you were ready for <coughs> anything that would help influence you. And of course you went to the <laughs> you got connected to the soul of it all. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I was I was truly in the right place at yeah, the right you got time. You got you you got shook by the roots. Yeah. What about uh, Julian Bream? Did you ever get to interact with him at all? Oh no, no. He was on another plateau. He was behind this. He was 
too too unreachable, huh? Well, he was in England, and oh, okay. um, I mean, I saw him perform. Mm -hmm. Oh, well, there you go. And I saw Segovia yeah. perform several times, um, but that was the closest that. What I was ever Segovia got like live? Several times, I mean, you went back to see him again. You must have been impressed oh, yeah. the first time. Oh, he was magnificent. I mean, it, it, yeah, my mother took my friend Tim Greathead and myself to uh, see Segovia in the early 60s at the, um, where was it? The old Biltmore Theater, oh, I, believe. I believe. Biltmore Hotel? Well, it was the theater that oh. was next door to the Biltmore right. Hotel. Um, and and he was pretty much in his prime at that time. I went back, you know, I saw him maybe 20 years later, and he played better than he walked. You know, he, he <laughs> and he, he insisted, he did like six encores, and he insisted upon leaving the stage after each of them. So, said to wait. So it took him 30 seconds to get off stage, <laughs> and then with the people still clapping and screaming, he would, he came back on stage uh, another 30 seconds, kind of waddling over to the, to his chair, and then he'd play again, and you know, he did this six times. But the playing was, you know, it was good. It, it, it was, um, he was not in his prime, but his love of the guitar was so apparent. I think that's why he played better than anybody. He just loved the guitar more than anybody. Yeah. Wow. So, so uh, George Van Epps. Now he lived in uh, the area. He, he lived, lived in, in Huntington Beach. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Did you take lessons with him? No, I didn't. But I was able to. He was uh, friends with my guitar teacher. Bass Hutchinson in um, in Newport Beach, whom I took from for five years, and uh, Mr. Van Epps was was Bass's favorite guitar player. So I heard him early on, and you know, I mean, I really got the, you know, was was read the the uh, you know chapter and verse about George Van Epps uh -huh. uh, because it's subtle. You know, you can listen to it. And um, you got a lot going and, on, and there's a lot going on, and it has to be pointed <laughs> out that that's all him, <laughs> you know. Um, so um, he's the godfather of modern jazz guitar, wouldn't you say? I do think George is the greatest guitar um, player, the great, the greatest guitar conceptualist. That America has ever produced. Conceptualist is not a, it's not a word. It's certainly not a good word. Um, well, it's American uh, music that's completely sophisticated on one instrument. And yeah, it's a guitar. Yeah, yeah. No, he's the most advanced guitar player. Yeah, that's what the, that, that, that advanced that, that uh, sophistication that America has produced. I think, um, and because when you listen to you know, kind of the the classic George guitar, uh, George Van Epps album is Mellow Guitar, which he did with an orchestra. And there were times when I was younger, when I would listen and, and think, you know, I wish there wasn't so much orchestra. I wish there was more guitar. But then what I realized later on was that all those orchestral parts were taken from his guitar parts. <laughs> so, so they were really just kind of, it was sort of George adorning yeah. his own yeah. guitar play. But the point is, is that when the orchestra would drop out, and it wasn't a huge orchestra, but it was 
11 guys, 12 it, it would, guys? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. But, but when they would drop out and it would just be George, there would be no uh, diminishment of right. power, just as there's no d diminishment, again, if that's a word, um, when an orchestra drops out in a concerto and the piano is left on its own. Sure. It's the power is equal. Now, how did that work when it was just a guitar being left on its own when the orchestra drops out? Well, how did that work? It was George Van Epps. So George, so there was no playing his seven string guitar, which he invented, by the way. Yeah. So, so, um, uh, so the power is still there. You don't miss a thing when it's when it's merely a guitar. Why? Because it's merely George Van Epps's guitar. <laughs> but uh, and and as I say, he was a friend of my guitar teacher. So he came down to play while I was taking lessons. He came down to play at um, a party, a birthday party for Baz Hutchinson, my guitar teacher. So when I was, what would I have been? Maybe 11, 12 years old. I, oh, wow. I sat as far from George Van Epps as I am from you right now. Mm -hmm. and We're in the same room, by the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and listen to him play for a an couple entire, hours. Yeah, yeah, at least an hour. And so, I mean, that imprinted itself on my... Possibility. Uh, on, on my brain. Yeah. I have a George Van Epps story real quick. Yes. Don't want to ruin your interview here. But, of course, he was coming here to the shop to have his guitars worked on by Kurt. Mm. So um, I got his number because Kirk said I should go take lessons for him while he's still around, mm. right? So George Van Epps, wow, guitar lessons, here I go. So I was calling his house and they would never uh, pick up the phone, right? So I said, well, he must not be around to give lessons, right? Then one day his daughter picked up the phone and I said, yeah, this is John at the guitar shop in Laguna Beach. Not Kirk's friends with George and I'm trying to get a guitar lesson. She goes, you can have a lesson with George now. He's on tour in Europe. <laughs> he was 83. Yeah, yeah. Still out there touring at 83. Yeah, with Howard Alden. George Van Epps. We're talking with Mark Turnbull today. I'm John Hoisenstam. This is The Guitar Life. This is a Believe podcast production. Please, if you're enjoying our show, subscribe. Thanks. Howard Alden really kind of, uh, I won't say rescued George, but, but uh, really brought George back because when when George's wife died, uh, he went into a tailspin. He just he just disappeared for years. He worked on that wacky book of his, you know, mm -hmm. the book that is yeah, it's it's a tome. There's two. There's a two of them. There's a volume one and a volume two. And and they're you they're know, ridiculous. They're, they're they're very thick in every sense of the word. Uh, but he didn't perform at all. <clears throat> but then when he started performing again, he, he would come down and play with my guitar teacher at, uh, uh, at a club in Newport. And then Howard Alden, who is uh, perhaps the greatest guitar, jazz guitarist of his generation, 
and he had studied with George Van Epps uh, before. He he brought George kind of really out of retirement and put him on world stages all over. And they were a great duo. Howard and George were one of the great guitar duos. Wow. Yeah. Can you think of anything uh, that we might not have talked about today that uh, you might have thought you were going to speak about on your way down here today? Or did you know what we were going to do? Did, I had no idea. My mind was a blank slate. Um, <laughs> it's been great so far. You're, you're fantastic fascinating guy jeez uh, how about uh, maybe a, a, a remembrance of one great performance uh, at some venue somewhere that you'll always uh, oh that I'll always treasure yeah any one any standout uh, show that uh, you got you got oh gosh um, well you know one was a I mean we're talking about hundreds of shows thousands of shows you know <laughs> yeah but th there was one um, at one point in time, which would have been the um, early 90s, uh, a good friend of mine, my mother's former partner in an, in, at the Newport Harbor Art Museum and in a gallery that they started, a woman named Phyllis Lujan, who has always been a fan of mine, said, uh, you need to write a show uh, but uh, for yourself, but you have to really write it. It has to be the same every night, because because see, this was something that I didn't do. I would get on stage In not prom? knowing, yeah, not knowing what I was going to do, which sometimes was was fantastic. Other times was you know a stretch, yeah. Uh, so Phyllis said you need to do a show and and uh, and really write script it so that every night it's the same which I did, and then um, called a uh, close friend, a woman named Linda Ballou, um, who was also a writer uh, and gave good advice and also knew of a theater, had an inn, shall we say, with a theater in Santa Ana called Way Off Broadway. So uh, I wrote the I wrote the show, and then Linda and I took it to Way Off Broadway. The guy said, yeah, let's do it. So uh, I did, I don't know, two or three weeks of, of this show. Mm -hmm. Mark Turnbull and Friends, a one-man show. <laughs> and, uh, and it was full of you know, stories of... You know, people that I you must have got better and better at it as the uh, you know well day I mean, after day it was well it it did I will say it got a rave review in the L.A. Times they called it the best one man show of the year in the L.A. Times the Orange County edition mind you um, uh, but it was you know that that was a series of shows that really stands out in my mind. Um, Sure, that was like a testament to your own, uh, to your own character, you know, which is pretty hard to put in the box. <laughs> it, it it was um, <clears throat> it was a wonderful experience. I loved the theater. It was funky, you know, but it, but but uh, you know, it was it was nice because. But I will say, after that experience, when you play for whatever it was, you know, n n not that many, you know, 95, 100 people. 
uh, and you can hear a pin drop for two hours. Then you go into a bar and try and play, you know, <laughs> and you just feel like you're interrupting. Right. I, I, I'm, I'm so sorry I'm playing this music and getting in the way of your conversations. Um, you know, and I don't say that snidely. No, uh, you that's, know, the it, it, that's the way it is. Yeah. And, um, and one must accept that. You know, I don't mind playing. Um, in fact, I enjoy. Uh, I'll get a call every once in a while to come play at a party and just sit in the corner and play, you know, the guitar equivalent of cocktail piano. Yeah. You know, and I'll sit back and I'll play Gershwin and Cole Porter and Rogers and Hart for, you know, two hours, three hours. And and then it's fine because I'm not singing. You know, I'm just playing. And I know going in that they're not there to listen. I'm there to just kind of provide some atmosphere. And mm -hmm. that I and so it's. Sense, I enjoy that. You know, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's three hours of practice. We can look at it that way as well. Yeah. Paid practice, which yeah. is nice. So, so that I don't mind at all. But, but uh, like I say, after that theater experience, then the, those are the ones that I sought out afterwards because I didn't want to go back to... You know, they're Playing not even. Bars. They're not even. Yeah, they're not even called. I was going to say nightclubs, but that's that's a misnomer. Yeah. They're 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 bars. Yeah, it's just a watering hole. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, this has been really great uh, talking with you. I mean, you could write uh, probably a story about every different play that you were involved in if it did have a longevity of any kind. Any anything else uh, you could think of that we could talk about? Maybe maybe get you to play a little guitar. I could play some guitar for you. Okay. Certainly. All right. Okay. Yeah. yeah well, well, we talked about George Van Neves. Now this was a song from Mellow Guitar okay. that uh, that I learned from it with with a little input later on from Jack Marshall, who was a great guitar player. So you were friends with the Marshalls, like yes. Bill Marshall and, uh, and 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 Frank. Frank and I were were. I played a lot with Matt. That's uh -huh. an excellent bass player. Yes. Yeah, well, big brother Frank and I were very close in, in high school. And so I, I met his dad. And his dad was, a, of course, a great guitar Jack. player. Jack was a great guitar player, wonderful guy, funny, funny guy. So, uh, and I used to sit around and play over at, uh, at, at, at their Lido, house. Lido, at their Lido house. Island house, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so anyway, this was this was a, a, a song by Rogers and Hart. Have you met Miss Jones? Thank mm -hmm. you.
ね。This is a Believe podcast. I'm your host, John Hoisenstam. This is The Guitar Life. If you've been enjoying our shows, please subscribe. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.